Lily, out of all the Muppets, which one do you think would be a product manager? Oh, tricky question. I reckon Cookie Monster would be a scrum master and Big Bird <laughs> is definitely the CEO. Ooh, you've gone for the Sesame Street gang. Uh, I want to talk about the classic Muppets, actually. So, I don't know. What do you think about Kermit? Oh, uh, oh, I reckon Miss Piggy would be the head of sales. But oh, yeah. would Kermit be the PM? Well, he's a bit hapless and put upon, and he's always complaining that it's not easy being green. So, maybe? Although, <laughs> I think Scooter actually gets stuff done, so maybe he should be the PM. I reckon Animal would make a great product coach. Oh, God, I can see that. It might be me. I can just scream, outcomes, at everyone all day. <laughs> but hang on, let's go back to how it's not easy being green, because today we're going to talk about how we can weave sustainability outcomes into our day-to-day -day work. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now we've started something. <laughs> yep, we're talking with Amy Wagner. Agile coach, consultant, and not a Muppet about permaculture. <laughs> and despite the fact that she mentions them a lot, this episode is not actually sponsored by the Green Web Foundation. She is just a massive fan. And we're a big fan of former podcast Chris Adams, who works there as well. But before we get to our chat, um, Amy mentions a few examples that are really specific to the UK, but the principles here are really universal. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content, discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. And there's probably one near you. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Hello. For anyone who doesn't already know who you are, can you just give us a quick intro? What are you up to these days and how did you get into the world of product in the first place? Yeah, sure. So let's see. These days, um, I work mainly as an agile coach and on organizational transformation programs. I guess so working with organizations going through change, transformation, usually on their own journey to becoming more agile, more startup-y. But yeah, the way I started out, goodness, it was um, 2001-ish. I was a web designer, uh, <laughs> mostly cutting up websites from Photoshop, coding up, you know, blink tags and not quite, but, you know, HTML. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> All the old nerds out there. And yeah, I uh, then I spent a little bit of time uh, working as a web designer and then into project management. And then eventually I was like, oh, this agile thing and started doing a little bit of agile product management, delivery management, that kind of thing. And I guess for the last 10 years, I've been doing the coaching thing. So yeah, a little bit of a, a ride on the way into this kind of work. Fantastic. And I know you've got a real interest in sustainability, and it's this topic that we've covered before, but yeah. it's something that's always seems really hard. To, you know, we all have this great idea about being more sustainable about and bringing it into our career, but sometimes it's hard to figure out exactly how to do that and how to apply it day to day in our job. And I saw a talk that you did recently uh, about permaculture and was really fascinated by it. So 
what actually is permaculture before we go into anything else? Yeah, okay, yeah, permaculture. Well, definitely that was a thing that I found that exactly as you say, trying to weave sustainability into the work that I do. It's going to be a big topic and a big transformation program for all of us over the next 30 years, right, to try and get to carbon net zero uh, by 2050. So, yeah, I think we all need to get on board. But, yeah, permaculture was my way in. So what is permaculture? Okay, there is a definition here that I've got, which I'll just read out. It's a global movement working to create the world we want by providing for our needs and working in harmony with nature. And then there's another one, which is uh, a revolution disguised as organic gardening, which is quite fun. So, yeah, it's mainly, mainly kind of nature-based stuff. But I feel like it works really, really well with product development and any anything kind of in the digital space as well. So Agile is, by definition, the way we approach it is iterative approaches to things. Yeah. Permaculture sounds permanent. How do we marry iteration and and that towards to something called permaculture? How do you actually bring it into the day to day? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because yeah, permaculture itself, they were trying to find a thing called, I guess it came from permanent agriculture, and then later on they dropped the agri part of it and they're like okay permanent culture we need a permanent culture how do we get a sustainable permanent culture and you're so right it's so at odds isn't it with that kind of iterative agile product development world where we work in that we know and love but yeah I think actually thinking about that question I think that maybe permaculture is actually looking to achieve a sort of permanent balance not necessarily a permanent thing fixed in time and I think that's kind of what we do in product too, right? We're, we're trying to find this balance of, you know, we've got the right inputs and outputs and, you know, we're, we've got the right number of users and we've got, um, you know, the system working really well, um, good user satisfaction, you know, all, all of that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think that's sort of the same with any kind of land-based or ecological design, which is where permaculture comes from. We know that we're in this constant flux and in this constant change, but how do we make sure, you know, we're not extractive in that way so that we keep things, yeah, permanently in balance? So let's call it maybe permabalance culture. That might work <laughs> <a bit> better. <laughs> what was the kind of like premise of your talk? Like how did you bring permaculture and agile together? Yeah, so actually, yeah, to know a bit about this, maybe, you know, that permaculture itself um, is a set of principles and a way of approaching, you know, I guess problem solving and design. And I think, you know, us as, um, as product people, we're always looking for those sorts of techniques. And I felt like this is one of those really useful ones, which could be another, I guess, string to your bow and mm -hmm. kind of really interesting one, particularly in the you know, the climate emergency situation we're in right now. And I think that, you know, you look at permaculture and you say, okay, well, there it's this set of thinking tools. So you can have a look at each of the permaculture um, principles or the ethics, and you can go through them one by one and, and I guess test your product or test your approach to solving a problem just by taking each of those principles and stepping through and, and using them as, yeah, as thinking tools. And so that's what I did. Um, in this conference talk that you were referring to 
from Agile Cambridge. And um, yeah, it was really fun to, I guess, mix the worlds up there a little bit too. You know, borrow things from other places. Sometimes that helps us see things differently and think about things differently. So have you been through that process of applying those thinking tools to products that you work on? I I actually, <laughs> it's funny because I since learning about permaculture, it's something that I did during lockdown, actually. I was like, okay, I, I need to find this way of interweaving some sustainability work and learning about sustainability into my career. And so I thought, oh, okay, I can do this course at night during lockdown. And um, yeah, and I think just by learning about permaculture, I've put on the permaculture goggles so I could kind of see everything that way now, like right. every life decision, every product decision, every like team I work with, it's the permaculture goggles. It's a little bit like when I learned about Agile and, you know, you, you start using tools like Trello or back in the day others and you just start organising your life differently. It's yeah. a little bit like when I worked, when I started learning about permaculture, it's exactly the same thing happened to me. That's really interesting. <laughs> well, let's get into the specific principles in a minute, but uh, yeah. I'm curious. So you, you're working with teams on a day-to-day basis and you're encouraging them to think this way and you've got the tension of the business only wants to know that are we achieving our goals faster <laughs> and you're trying to uh, weave in this approach to it and make sure that we're doing it in a principled way. Do you get feedback on that or how, how do people approach it when you say, okay, let's look at it with sustainability in mind or permaculture in mind? Do you know, I typically don't even mention it. It's just how uh, one operates. <laughs> it's a little bit like when um, you might be working with people who are new to agile ways of working as well. You don't necessarily mention the principles or the things or that like I'm now going to use some agile words you know you would just you start kind of modeling what you're doing and sort of uh, you know like you say we'll get into the principles in a minute like thinking about what we're doing in that way but um also yeah there is there is an offering that I do which is which is a workshop um where I work with people I'm I'm doing this on a pro bono basis with some people at the moment where I am literally sort of evangelizing permaculture <laughs> and teaching people about permaculture as well as, you know, like like an alternative retrospective or something like that. And then that way it becomes useful and relevant to mention it. And do you find that people who work in tech companies generally feel like they're already contributing, I guess, to a, a more sustainable world because of like hybrid working so we're not like traveling as much and you know no one prints anything off anymore so we're not using up paper and ink and that kind of thing and um yeah it just feels like when everything's online that there's less of an impact yeah it does feel that way doesn't it and I feel like sometimes that's a bit of a misnomer because, you know, sometimes when you task people who are new to thinking in this way to go, oh, what kind of actions could you take to be more sustainable? The first thing they would say is print less paper or use less post-it notes or something like that. Whereas maybe all the data that you're, you're storing or all those extra Miro boards you've got <laughs> is actually worse for the world <laughs> or you know because I mean at least paper can be composted right and sometimes it can come from sustainable sources that have like a closed input output loop so you know it is fully sustainable yeah whereas you know like Chris Adams from the um, Greenweb Foundation says 
the internet is the largest, uh, what does he say? The internet is the biggest machine on earth and is totally powered by fossil fuels, uh, something along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, so, so we I all need to meet. Yeah, it's a bit more complex, isn't it, than just uh, <laughs> icons. So we all definitely need to make more of an effort. And um, we've mentioned the principles a few times. I think we should go through those because I found those really, really interesting because it's it covers a, a, a range of different ways that you can look at what you're doing and reflect on its impact. So tell us about the first one, this kind of observe and interact. Yeah, sure. So um, first of all, to note before we um, go into that one, um, there's actually loads of principles the ones I use usually in my workshops are ones that I've picked because they have the most relevance to digital teams and digital product development. So there's like Mollison principles and Holmgren principles. They're the two co-originators of the concept back in the 80s. Um, but yeah, the observe and interact principle is a is a Holmgren principle. So David Holmgren. Um, and yeah, I think I think this is a little bit like what you would do if you're kicking off a product or a, or a big feature for the first time. Anyway, you know, you would sit down and you would think about the problem space, and you would maybe do um, a bit of a survey about, you know, what what what's everything that's going on right now that could affect um, the goal that we have. So, you know, maybe it's a mini discovery or a sprint zero for some people, something like that. But, I mean, if you were thinking about this in a permaculture way, uh, maybe you would do you would do an audit. You know, if you're thinking about sustainability and your product's impact on uh, the world and on people, um, yeah, you would do it a little audit and there's a big audit and there's lots of companies that can help you do that. Like, so the Green Web Foundation, they offer those. Uh, so they can go right through your whole supply chain and understand, you know, where's all your infrastructure hosted and, you know, what's the carbon impact <laughs> of all of these, of your products. Um, so you would do that kind of a discovery and just have a think about, you know, what's your baseline data? What's your impact? And and not just on the environment, on your carbon footprint, but, you know, you could even go into like sort of other ways to observe and interact as well. Like, um, you know, think about the ho- all, all the topics involved in climate justice, for example. So, you know, sometimes people think about um, climate, uh, I guess building a sustainable internet is just really about like efficient tech and using, using renewable energy and all that kind of thing. But maybe there's other things as well, like uh, regenerative business models or, you know, um, <laughs> the right to repair, like what kind of, um, you know, devices are you using that just are going to be redundant in a couple of years and go into rain, into landfill? You know, maybe there's, uh, maybe there's different uh, devices or infrastructure that you could be using that's more sustainable in the long run. Mm. So, yeah, there's so many, there's so many facets to it. There's just lots of ways to observe, but I guess traditionally in permaculture, they, they used to say things like, um, if you're doing a land-based project, um, sit and observe the, your land for a whole year, notice all the seasons, notice everything, just watch, just listen and just learn before you even, you know, dig a hole and make an impact on that piece of land. 
and I'm trying to do a permaculture design. I think it's a bit like that. You know, you might accidentally do some harm <laughs> if you dive in immediately with what you think the sort of sustainable change is for your product without really mm. thinking about the full system design. I love that. I love the really understanding the system and you looking at it in times of stress, in times of, you know, especially if you're uh, you, you know, like a tax-based product, the way something is used at one time a year will be totally different than how it's used at, at other times. Totally, totally. And and I guess that brings on the the other idea of ecological succession as well, right? You know, we're talking about these systems are constantly in flux, aren't they? Nothing is permanently static. Everything's permanently moving. Um, and, yeah, so what? how does your product look over time, like, is this just an offering for right now? Or, you know, will this, what's what's it going to look like in five years? What sort of infrastructure are you going to be working with there? And, you know, maybe in 50 years. <laughs> As a product leader, you want regular insights about how people are using your product. But when you don't have the capacity for ongoing UX research, where can you turn? AnswerLab is a UX research agency with the expertise companies rely on for scaling user research capabilities and getting actionable user insights. The experienced team of UX strategists, researchers, and research ops professionals bring a human-centered approach to research design, recruiting, and interviewing the right participants, and sharing results with product teams at the world's leading brands. Visit answerlab.com forward slash MTP to learn more and fill in a form for your chance to win a free ticket to mine the product San Francisco 2023. Use promo code MTP. That's answerlab.com forward slash MTP. What you, you mentioned there something about a kind of regenerative business model. Um, what does what does that mean? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm definitely not the expert on that area. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, my basic understanding of it is that you're not extractive with your business. So you're giving things back to maybe the community that you're working with or um, even, you know, you're – there's different sort of business models out there, isn't there, for employee ownership and co-ops and things. But, yeah, I'm definitely not the, <laughs> not the expert on that stuff right now. Let's let's move on to the next one then because uh, I find this one really interesting. And in, in some ways it almost feels to me like the, the same conversation we had a few years back uh, when I first learned about the importance of around uh, thinking about accessibility is mm. – you know, there's really good philosophical reasons to it, but then there's all kinds of amazing practical things that just make sense and that already go in line with things that uh, people who might not be interested in accessibility or people who might not be interested in sustainability. You, when you propose something like uh, scheduling jobs for times of grid or energy abundance, mm. and, you know, instead of running a report in the middle of the day, run it overnight and things like that. It's just, I never... It seems so simple and obvious. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a great one. Um, so the principle itself is like catch and store energy. And yeah, one of the 
I guess one of the examples I think that brings this one to life is trying to use energy when it's abundant. So a classic permaculture example would be, you know, if you're running a solar system on your house, so you've got a sustainable energy system going on or whatever, um, you might like run all of your appliances in the day because you've got energy abundance at that time because you've got loads of sunlight coming through and charging batteries and you're going to run out of charge. You're going to run out of space on your battery. So quick, use, use it all for free. The sun is, the sun is giving you energy for free. Quick, use it. <laughs> well, the grid kind of works that way as well because the grid always has to be in balance. And what I didn't know until a few years back when I was doing some work with Ofgem is that they actually pay big, large industrial companies to burn energy really quick when they need it so if the grid's out of balance and it's like a really windy day and you know we go oh i've got too much energy in the grid um they'll actually pay like a big steel manufacturing company or something to like burn that energy like quick quick burn it burn it and they get paid to do that and they get to use that energy from the grid so it's sort of it's like waste energy now i fast forward we've got um companies like octopus energy and other companies like that, energy companies that are running these interesting um, experiments with agile tariffs. So, you know, during times of grid abundance, um, you can actually get paid to use the energy of the grid as either, you know, a home user or even, you know, a big product team, for example. So scheduling your jobs, like you said, Randy, for times of... (laughs) Uh, energy abundance if you've got something going on that's going to require loads of processing power and it doesn't kind of need to happen immediately it can just happen whenever um, scheduling that job for for then is a, is a great use of well this permaculture principle as a thinking tool but also yeah energy that would otherwise go to waste I suppose as well as if, if you start like you say having your permaculture goggles on <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah then even when you're thinking about how people use your products, um, mm. you know, if you if they need to process stuff and being able to say, do you want to process this now or do you, can you wait till overnight and then it'll use, you know, energy in a more efficient way. Yeah, it's really yes. interesting. I love Absolutely. This. And yeah, like 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 you're doing there, like thinking about it as a as a thinking tool, you're almost going through each permaculture principle and you're saying, okay, I'm thinking about my product. Oh, that's given me an idea. Mm. This new product offering, I would I'll do it in that way. And like lo and behold, you've accidentally baked sustainability into your product choice. Yeah. And I think yeah. this is this is one of those amazing things that you get from working with something like this, is that you know, you're accidentally baking in really good actions for the climate emergency just by doing that so what's next on the list of things that we want to tackle <laughs> so i think there's another one here um that i've used in my workshops before which is all about using and valuing renewable resources uh, so if you again take that as a sort of a, a testing principle so how might we use and value renewable resources so a really quick and easy one to do um, is you can check your web domains and where they're hosted you can just log into the green web foundation and check that to see how green your hosting company is and um, make a switch 
<laughs> if it's not hosted <laughs> green, <laughs> which is maybe more actions. <laughs> However, you know, that that's a good way of, of checking. Uh, and even maybe if you're thinking about signing up to two different cloud hosting providers for something, you know, maybe that's part of your product ecosystem, um, you can make that, you can use that as a criteria for making mm. your choice as well, can't you? Is is that is that service more green than that one? That might be a way of bringing that in. Do you find that there are beginning to be more options in terms of service providers with um, more sustainable so- solutions? Because in my experience, there hasn't been that many options to date, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're you know, trying to grow quickly. So you're going with the tool that's sort of reliable, known, has like the easiest setup and configuration and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I I think there is more options. It's becoming more of a thing, isn't it, for people and it's um changing people's behaviors. Uh but yeah, there's still still not a lot, is there? Mm. <laughs> there's still not as many as we'd like and you know, as mature services, I think. Yeah. I guess with that kind of thing as well, like digging a little deeper, there's great there's great work being done by people like the Green Web Foundation, who I keep mentioning because I love and I'm a big supporter of their work. I think some of these companies are greener than others as well. So some buy offsets or, um, you know, some might invest back mm. um, and some go a bit deeper with their um, where they get their devices and end of life and all of that kind of thing. And I think, everyone can probably do better in this space including you know consumer choices and yeah yeah we'll get there there was one more principle i think that you that you covered about self-regulation and accepting feedback what does that actually mean in practice i have an idea of what you meant by that but let's dig in yeah sure so yeah self-regulation and feedback i for me this is all about setting limits on your consumption um, and then getting getting feedback from that as well. So I, I guess a traditional permaculture example of this would be um, making sure that we don't take too much of a natural resource, that we're leaving something behind for other people, for the wildlife, that kind of thing. I mean, for me personally, the way that's translated <laughs> um, into my life is like I'm trying to make all my own um, alcohol the year yeah with the um cider and um elderflower champagne and that kind of stuff that I'm growing at home and that you know sets limits on my consumption (laughs) I'm gonna like value that stuff more because I've created it myself a bit like you know that whole thing where if you create an avatar for yourself you're more likely to be hooked onto that product you know I'm creating this alcohol Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be like well I'll only have a one bottle of that tonight because I knew how how many summers or spring or whatever it take to create that alcohol. But yeah, if you, if you then apply that back to product or the digital context, um, I think like one of the things is maybe thinking about, you know, what your, what your budget is, what's your, what's your carbon budget for your product? I think there's a lot of organizations out there that have made some kind of net zero pledge, but they haven't really set goals about when they're going to get there or they're not measuring. We know what that does to us if uh, we're creating products 
without those sorts of metrics in place, we don't, we just sort of never achieve it, do we? Um, so I, I think probably seeing certain factors as, as a budget to set limits on your consumption um, would help. So I'm thinking like one of them is, uh, I use this in my presentation, uh, data. So collection of data. Um, you know, what kind of limits could you set on data? Because collecting data, all data has a cost, right? Whether that's storage, the devices you're buying, you know, you know how much, how, how much like the natural resources it takes to actually create those devices in the first place. That's a, that's a big carbon footprint just to get the device, let alone running it, the processing power to access that data to and fro, and then what happens to it afterwards. And we haven't even talked about the sort of sociological, uh, environmental <laughs> or, you know, climate justice impacts on the people that we're holding the data of, you know. Mm. So th there's there's so many, like, facets to to something like that. And I think applying some kind of a budget, just having a think about, like, well, how much do we actually need um, is a great way of applying this principle. Yeah, when we're doing, you know, tracking web metrics and things like that, it's usually we just take it all because we'll, it's easy to take it and then we'll figure out what to do with it later, if anything. And obviously there's stuff like GDPR and other things like that to say, okay, you have to keep certain amounts of data for a certain number of years, but then you're supposed to purge it. Uh, right. And things like that. Is, is there an example of a time or a, a kind of data that you've just said, okay, we don't need this anymore and found a savings? Not me personally. Uh, I can't wait to find that savings. <laughs> I think we could all do that. We could go into every single product and, and say, we don't need this, we don't need that. Um, but yeah, I haven't found an opportunity yet to work with the team and do that. Mm. I think I could personally do that on everything I've got in my Dropbox, in my Google Drive, emails. I could do that, but we make much bigger impact if we make these changes at a system level, which is another reason if you're a product manager or product person or someone working um, to influence the direction of an organization, uh, another reason why we need to be baking this stuff into our decisions, in my opinion. Mm. And one of the other things that you kind of talk about in your talk was sort of like what the whole kind of sustainability thing is all about. And I think you kind of included things like open source um, tech and diverse tech workforces, caring for communities, slowing down and creating less. Like it all sounds really uh, like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we go about, um, well, firstly, I guess if we're not kind of experts in this area, just starting to assess ourselves mm -hmm. um, and then trying to make sure that we build it into our roadmaps and like really bring it into into our attention yeah that's such a great question so the thing I reference is um is actually a blog post from a person called uh Hannah Smith who works for the Green Web Foundation there they are again <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the link if anyone's interested in digging into that. But, yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's broad, isn't it? I think what we're getting at and, and all, all the current thinking on what does a shift to, to a sustainable internet look like, 
what what people are starting to realize is that it's more about climate justice and that it is a complex system isn't it it's not just shifting to you know a greener infrastructure provider okay, that's that's not it because i mean some of the examples i've been discussing with um with friends is things like you know, accidentally creating a new society from a really disruptive product that unfortunately tips the balance of the economy or, um, you know, shifts money into a different direction or, you know, creates a a car ride-sharing service that accidentally creates injustice in another part of society. And Mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, product decisions can have that power and especially the power of the internet and digital products, you know, they can be incredibly disruptive and change society within, you know, three to four years or less sometimes. And mm. I think people even chase that, don't they? They they talk about being disruptive. And um, what I like, and I guess this is back to the permaculture ethics, which we haven't talked about but um, what I love about the ethics of permaculture is it essentially challenges us to balance these three big factors, which is um, care for the earth, the planet, care for people, and a fair share of everything. And, you know, if you, if you sort of have those things at the heart of the decisions that you're making, we are going to start to consider those other factors, aren't we? We're going to start to consider our impact on people. So, you know, a shift to a sustainable internet also includes our decisions that we're making, our product decisions and the society that we're building that sometimes comes out the back of that. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a powerful thing to just bake into everything that you do. Well, I don't know about everyone who's listening, but I've got like a gazillion ideas running through my brain now of, <laughs> that I want to go back to the team and go, we should really think about this. <laughs> um, if if everyone was going to kind of take one action away today, what would you want it to be? It would probably be um, to, yeah, observe, to take that first step to observe their product and its impact and have a look at it from as many different angles as possible. Mm. Um, so, you know, the traditional, what you might see as um, the renewable resources, you know, what infrastructure you're running, is it green or not, that kind of thing. But then also those um, climate justice angles that we were talking about as well. So I, I guess the list is like how diverse is your tech workforce uh, mm. If you've got diverse people in there, you're going to have diverse solutions that, you know, fits a diverse group of people um, and, you know, other other things as well that we've mentioned before. So accessible tech, regenerative business models, that kind of thing. So as many angles as possible, I think, would be the takeaway. Nice. And I think, to be honest, as soon as you start with that observe step, then... You just get inspired. <laughs> well, yeah. having just done it for the last like, imagines. <laughs> yeah, 30 minutes with you and I'm like, yes, I need to take, <laughs> I need to take this on. <laughs> Amy, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Amy. Cheers. Bye-bye. 
the product experience is the first and the best podcast from mind the product our hosts are me lily smith and me randy silver lou ron pratt is our producer and luke smith is our editor our theme music is from hamburg-based band pow that's p-a-u Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>